Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And in our eighth season of our podcast, we're looking at research and scholarship in the field. We have been asking this question for it seems like months, where do leadership educators go for research? We've talked to journal editors, we've talked to editors of publications for practitioners, we've talked to leadership scholars, we've talked to peer reviewers, all in trying to paint this picture of where should leadership educators go for scholarship. So initially, we interviewed Dr. Tony Andonaro and Dr. Kristen Salente-Skindel about their work on the National Leadership Education Research Agenda, the 2020 to 2025 uh, version that was published in volume 14 of issue number three of their Journal of Leadership Studies. And it sparked an idea for us, why not talk to all of those uh, lead authors and those involved heavily in the priorities? So this episode is one of a series where we're talking to those that have authored or served as a lead author for the priorities. That's right, Lauren. And just as a refresher for our listeners, the uh, purpose of that uh, 2020 to 2025 National Leadership Education Research Agenda. It's interesting, national, because it was actually an international. We've got folks from all over the, the globe that, that contributed. I was just thinking about that. Um, but the, the purpose there was to provide a roadmap for future research and leadership education. And it was developed by a group, a large group of scholars and practitioners from various fields uh, with the intent to guide researchers in identifying important areas of inquiry, developing research questions, designing studies. Uh, this is great for graduate students looking for that dissertation or thesis question to explore and ideally contribute to the understanding and improvement of leadership education. Uh, the agenda uh, eventually culminated in nine priorities that will inform the future practice and development of the next generation of leaders, or at least that's the hope, right? So we're speaking, as Lauren mentioned, with authors from each of the nine priorities. And today we're speaking to the lead author uh, for priority number eight, which is titled Ethical Leadership, Understanding Ethical Failures and Research Consequences for Practice. Her name is Dr. Gail Latta, professor and the inaugural program director of the Leadership Studies doctoral program uh, in the College of Professional Sciences at Xavier University. Welcome to the show, Gail. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're excited to dive in to this priority, which is uh, such an important one, right? How can we talk about leadership without talking about ethics or relationships, right? And so, um, yeah, how did you get involved with this particular priority and, and this writing project? Well, um, I had a colleague who told me about the project. Um, he ultimately didn't participate or contribute to, to the article, but he told me about the project and encouraged me to uh, submit a proposal. Um, and, uh, and so I got um, a proposal in and, and I, as I recall, there was a selection process uh, and individuals who had contributed similar topics were put together into a group and asked to work on a document. And so that's how I met um, my co-author, 
was through that selection process. Yeah. Clearly you had an interest in ethical leadership where you wouldn't have pro proposed anything in, the, in this area. Can you share a little bit about your work in ethical leadership and kind of the rationale for submitting a proposal in this topical area? Yes. Uh, so I do teach a course uh, at Xavier in the doctoral program in um, ethical, spiritual, and character-based leadership. So, uh, and I have presented it at uh, ILA, uh, the International Leadership Association, conference as well on this topic and published in on the topic is so have done some primary research around um, ethical leadership. And um, so I do have a, have a, a pretty, pretty extensive interest in in the topic. And uh, there's a companion piece that's also cited in in the work that was published around the same time uh, that covers um, an extended um, lit review and of critical issues in the field relating to uh, how we study and conceptualize ethics in the context of leadership. Yeah, what's that? What's that publication called? We'd love to put that in the show notes for uh, folks sure. to check out. That is called "Developing Ethical Leaders: Innovations in Promoting Ethical Decision Making." Using discretionary power and overcoming immunity to moral integrity. It was published in the Journal of Leadership, Accountability, and Ethics in 2020. Perfect. So, you know, you mentioned facilitating and/or uh, presenting content on on ethical leadership and ethical leaders at some of these ILA conferences. Is there any kind of particular angle or context that is really kind of like what you know your passion project as you dive into this area of inquiry with respect to leadership? Yeah, so so one of the things I'm I'm really passionate about is how it is that so so investigating the full spectrum of ethical leadership because of all the areas of leadership this is one of those in which we are tend to have a we have a strong tendency or bias towards the romanticization of leadership here where if we're talking about ethical leadership, we assume we are talking about all things good. And if we're talking about unethical leadership, we assume we are talking about all things bad. And that dichotomy does not serve us well conceptually or empirically if we are talking about and researching ethical leadership. We need to acknowledge, of course, that there is a bright and a dark side of all leadership. And we know empirically that the bright sides of leadership, if you have too much of it, can be a bad thing. And that includes things like conscientiousness, which we would tend to associate with ethical leadership. There are times when too much of conscientiousness has a negative impact on organizations and followers. Similarly, there are dark sides of um, leadership, which can have a positive impact and we don't need to necessarily associate them. So narcissism is an example. Leaders we know um, have to have a certain degree of narcissism in order to put themselves out there uh, in order to be willing to have the courage to come forward and face the fire. So we don't need to dichotomize. We don't need to romanticize. We need to understand and investigate the full spectrum of ethical leadership. And so that gets us into the methods that we use and using those methods effectively in interpreting results um, um, credibly in relation to the methods that are used. 
you know, so there's so many things you just shared that I feel like are so helpful to go back and touch on. So first, the companion literature review is helpful because I feel like some of this, the process is, so I'm interested in this. Now, let me go do some digging and see what research is out there. So if you're saying here, we provided some of that, it almost feels like a platform. Um, the other thing I think about and, and what's starting to happen with all the priorities is you can see the tie-ins to other priorities. So we talked with the authors, some of the authors from priority number three, and there's a very distinct just paragraph and it's one sentence and it talks about how um, it's priority number three, understanding the leadership educator. And it talks about this desire to, to teach or to encourage um, our students to be authentic and ethical leaders. And so it, you can definitely see those relationships <laughs> and then kind of how we pick apart where we need to dig deeply. And, and in discussing that statement, it was like, we know leadership exists. We know that we are in desperate need. We also realize that we haven't if, if kind of what we're seeing as results in terms of leaders, if this is our outcome, there's something that we're as leadership educators missing in that process. And we need some exploration around what that is. So I, I say all that to say, it's clear that this is a part of the future of research. I, I don't think anybody would ever doubt that. Even with, without this, ethical leadership has always been an important conversation. And even the parts you mentioned about um, it not being this dichotomy, it maybe being more of a spectrum or a process kind of in, in moments in time. Um, what do you feel like is, is missing from the conversation? And how do you feel like the, the this priority is gonna encourage uh, others to start writing more deeply in a very specific direction or in a needed capacity or needed direction, kind of what do you feel like is missing and, and how do you feel like this is going to spur that, that um, organization of the topic? Thank you for that question. <clears throat> you know, I do feel like that sometimes we treat ethics in a very superficial kind of way. Um, we discuss these kind of categories of ethical decision-making. We touch on trait versus situation. We don't even do a good job of sticking in our lane when we're talking about traits. We wanna talk about traits and assess traits, and then we wanna go ahead and say, well, you can develop them, which is really, I mean, if it's a trait, then we know it's it, it, it's a fixed aspect of an individual. So we need to, as educators, we need to be clear about what is the paradigm we are using? Is it trait, is it situational? And 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 be, um, um, be consistent in the way that we're applying that. But I wanna talk about, because you mentioned authenticity, I just finished reading a very important book uh, by Charles Taylor on the ethics of authenticity. And um, he talks a lot about, he breaks down essentially um, the, the, the moral dimensions of authenticity and how our tendency towards uh, individualization in society has fueled a sort of authenticity that is self-serving and not it not rooted in the uh, goals and needs and benefits of society and community as a whole. And so he talks about this tension between the we want to be authentic. We certain and certainly there's an element. So he doesn't throw the he does not throw the, the baby out with the bathwater, but he, he analyzes the fact that in the pursuit of individuality, we sometimes go inward and want to focus on well, what is my truth? But that is that is, if you look at it, anchored in something that's entirely subjective. 
And my takeaway from this, he doesn't go there, but I do. This is what I, I bring to this conversation is the idea that we need to make certain if we're talking about the ethics of authenticity, that we are rooting it in something that is objective and not merely subjective. Because the objective is the part that gets us back to the connection with community, the goals and objectives of a, of a society, and, and makes our actions not merely self-serving. And I think that's a that's a part we miss as educators in talking about ethics. We tend to make it all about what well, our integrity. <laughs> it's about integrity in service of something. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I love that you shared that subjective nature of it. It almost feels like we need like community authenticity. I don't know what the actual term for that is, but but I feel like that's what's. I think missing. it's just authenticity. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> but, but you're, you're you're right. But you bring up a good point. It, it's really about. It, it, I almost feel like it's authenticity, but it, it really matters how high that leader self awareness is. And you earlier said like you have to have a little bit of narcissism in you to to even venture into that leader space. But but then also there's got to be this balance of a really true understanding. And I wonder if we're living in spaces where we get that. Um, I just read this article. So I, I teach in a public relations curriculum and I teach leader, but I teach leadership courses in that curriculum. And I just read this article from a prominent crisis communications person where she was kind of like, our leaders aren't good. And it just felt like the first time someone was saying this publicly in my domain. And it felt like happily those domains match because we, we know that there are challenges. We know that there's work to be done, but it feels like the leadership educators are kind of over here screaming, we got to do it. And other people are like, yeah, but it's that fakeness that you kind of talk about. We really need to come clean and say, you know what, maybe we don't have the right ideas and maybe we need to expand our thinking and, and take a pause or, you know, just kind of disrupting what we've been doing, kind of going along this status quo. Um, I wrote down Charles Taylor's book because it sounds like a great read um, based on just kind of what you've shared, but also it kind of goes back to kind of what do you think, what do you wish people were studying out there What do you or researching out there? What do you wish, you know, what kind of articles do you wish you were seeing related to, to this priority? Um, but really, you know, the, the sides of ethical leadership that maybe aren't being covered. Yeah. Well, I, I really wish that we were, for instance, looking at what we don't know about, uh, for instance, ethical failures. We talk about them as if we know what they are. But for instance, we don't know why we have ethical lapses. We kind of do, but we haven't documented it. We don't have this taxonomy, a way to say, well, is it just that people don't know about, they don't know how to think about the underlying ethical implications of the decisions they're making? I think that's part of it. But we also need to acknowledge that there is there's motivated um, behavior that leads people into a, down a path that is is not ethical, and that happens in our organizations all the time. So understanding what the triggers are for that, and and what are the elements of the environment that support and promote and sanction that. You know, there's this toxic triangle in leadership that I brought into the conversation, and I can't remember which of these two articles, um, but the idea that it's not just about the leader. And so the, so all of us are caught up in a, in a culture, and we know that ethical leadership 
and ethics in particular tend to be more communicated tacitly than they do in terms of explicit. It doesn't matter what your stated values are in the organization. It really matters what your behaviors communicate. Okay, well, how do we deal with that? One of the ways we deal with that is to figure out what are we communicating by our actions? And what is it, not just the leaders, what they're doing, but what is it about the organization? So that's one, you know, the leaders is one part. The other part is what's the environment? What, what is conducive about the environment to actually sanction behavior that is not ethical? And then the third part of that is the followers. And we have so many susceptible followers, followers who are more susceptible to acting in uh, self-serving um, ways and, and don't have, they lack the courage. They may know what the right thing is to do, but then they find themselves doing things that are actually not ethical because they perceive it to be what is necessary to get ahead, to get along, to, it, we, so, so we lack, we're not looking at the full picture if we're just focusing on, quote, ethical leadership being the people who are in leadership positions who are supposed to be, you know, the be-all to end-all of ethical leadership in our organizations. They're not. And we need to look at the whole picture. I, I love what you shared because in, in calling for that research, it, it also speaks to practice as well. So um, in the understanding the leadership learner conversation, that was at kind of the root of our conversation. How do like we don't need to teach students they need to be inclusive and diverse. They kind of get that just naturally because they're growing up in a more inclusive world where they're exposed to more than their parents were in prior generations. But it's how do we, when they know what the what they perceive as the right thing to do, how do we give them the language or um I, I said I, I'm not using the word trigger because of the state of our, our country, but I'm using a blinking flashing purple unicorn internally because that feels a little safer but how do when that blinking flashing unicorn goes off how do we then say get them to think okay so when i was in my class when we were talking about ethics these are some of the things that that were said how do i then make this decision to apply it now in this situation and it's that courage to push back on the people that you feel like because they're in a certain position are doing it right or just have a different perspective of right um, how do you then kind of give them the courage to lean in and, and push back and, and, and have some dialogue before just kind of going with it because that's what they see as being modeled. Um, you can see how this all kind of relates to each other for sure. Um, I also think too, employee voice should be a class that everybody has to take because I think part of what the problem is internally with organizations is we all have these ideas. We don't know that employee voice is a thing that exists. And then once you kind of flip that light switch on, I know my students, when I talk about it, when I flip that light switch on for them, it's like, oh, kind of everybody has an opinion and and, and they know it, but but to, to really bring it to the forefront is super important. And I, I feel like that changes the internal conversation, but then the external, like outside the organization is something else. Going back to this article uh, from this crisis communications person, one of the things that she mentioned in that is, is she talks about the recent Silicon Valley Bank um, issue, the incident, and she talks about kind of what's being said um, externally and what we know. And I feel like because we don't know what's happening, we, we don't know enough or have enough information, we can't then 
we're, we're almost at these extremes of ethics. They're all wholly bad completely, but we don't know that because we don't have that information. Um, and it makes me think internally versus externally, what communication, what information is being shared. That may be part of it. Yeah. You know, I just want to say that it is so hard for people in an organization. And I'm not talking about the people at the top, but because, but I'm talking about the, the people who are actually running an organization, it is so hard to always do what is right. Uh, there are so many pressures on individuals to conform and to accept and to go along and not, and, 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 and they are put upon in many instances because the organization may or may not be doing right by them, but that does not excuse their behavior that doesn't excuse them from choosing the ethical path themselves. And yet we do not focus enough of our attention on the pressures and strains that individuals, ordinary individuals within organizations experience and what it takes for them to have the courage to um, choose the path that is, um, you know, the, the, the path that is not the one of least resistance. Um, and I mean, look, I see it all the time and, and I think it, it's one of the most disappointing things, um, it, you know, to, to look around at colleagues and even those who are interested in ethical leadership <laughs> and, and to say, well, what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, yeah. how are you, how are you applying what it is that you're trying, that you claim to be teaching? Yeah, and it's interesting because students engage probably more fully in conversations and, and discussions around ethics and leadership than than many other components of of classes. I'm my context specifically. I'm thinking about. I teach a graduate seminar on leadership theory every fall that includes doc students and master students, and uh, it's not to the last module of the semester, although there's ethical themes, of course, throughout, but we really dive in in the last module of the, the semester. And one of the activities that we do that's uh, throughout is students are assigned an article that they choose from a list that, uh, you know, they complement other things that are being covered in some of the primary texts. I and mean, these are all in peer-reviewed journals. And there's always a mad rush to these particular articles Here's some of the titles, you know, and this kind of makes me think of what you were saying about how hard it is for folks and organizations to do the right thing. And everyone's had an experience where they're like, why did a leader do this? How could somebody do this? And they want to like get into the psychology of and like understand and make sense of these situations. Some of the favorites are, and I found this one a couple of years ago. This was in the Journal of Applied Psychology. It's called the, the title of the article, Shall We Serve the Dark Lords? A meta an, uh, analytic review of psychopathy and leadership. Students love that one. Another one is, and on the flip side, let's agree about nice leaders, a literature review and meta-analysis of agreeableness and its relationship with leadership outcomes. And then one that has been part of my classes since I started teaching because um, I was burned by somebody uh, as an undergrad that I had a lot of respect for until I got to know that person and they really kind of stabbed me in the back. And student government, shocker, right? Student government and politics and uh, people not being ethical. But um, the name of this one is uh, Character Not Charisma is the Critical Measure of Leadership Excellence. And so really getting into the character side of things. And I, I can't shut students up when they're talking about these, both on the discussion boards 
And in class, we kind of has a two-phase thing where they we begin the conversation and the discussion boards on our LMS, and then they move into an in-class facilitation. And oh man, they're just they love it. And the light and dark dimensions of ethical leadership is what jumped out to me from uh, which was one of the big sections in y'all's priority. Yeah, what? Yeah, I, I see you nodding so your head. I, you got something to say? Dive in. Yes. Please. So <laughs> one of the things that I I always include when I am teaching a course in and I and I in a as I, as I indicated, the scope of mine is ethical, spiritual, and um, character-based leadership. But I begin with um, a little treatise on self-deception because students are so eager to analyze other people's ethical failures. But we fail often as educators to provide individuals the tools to identify the lapses in their own character and ethical behavior. And this is one of the most eye-opening experiences that students have. Um, there's a wonderful um, film I, I, I used to use. I, I, I'm sure I can't put my hands on it. It used to be freely available and now you have to purchase it or rent it or something. And, you, and since I teach remotely now, you can't even project it. So I just tell students to go find it. But it, it's re, it's a really, it was a good documentary that was done of people who believed they were doing the right thing and found that they were doing the unethical thing. And many of these individuals, I mean, these are people who got caught. They did the illegal unethical thing, right? Believing they were doing the right thing because they were self-deceived about what the real issue was. And it's that ability in the moment for us to see what is true about not just the situation and the pressures on us, but what is true about our, our own selves and, and what, we're, what we may be compromising about our own integrity if we should choose to go along or, or do what looks like it's the, the right path, that, you know, the, the thing that might be what is acceptable and condoned in the situation. So self-deception, I think, is a really important thing to couple with our understanding and study of, um, of ethical leadership. Yeah. I want to make sure I include this other dimension as well that is mentioned in, in the article, and I want to give my co-author um, credit for having brought this to the table. And that is the idea of we need to study more how it is that leaders can recover from ethical failures and ethical lapses. Um, first of all, it's a it can be a slippery slope if we open the door to, I mean, how is it that organizations allow individuals to uh, co course correct? And under what circumstances is it appropriate for, for organizations and leaders to do so? In other words, we need to have accountability, but how do we hold, have accountability at the same time we allow for redemption? And that to me is its own ethical issue that needs more research. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, repair in any type of relationship, whether it be an organization or a partnership or anything in between, right. Doing, doing the repair and the redemption. What does that look like? What are the processes that might be adopted there's so many contextual factors. I mean, we could go, we could talk about that for, for hours. That's so important. And I, I'd love to, if you can recall it or, or, or find it in that documentary, I'd love the, oh. um, the title of that. It's so important too, right? How do, how do we 
Right. I mean, I, I mentioned my own experience, right? From student government, I was totally uh, decepted by this by this individual. And then I learned the hard way and then found confidence, well, not even confidence, found dozens of other student government leaders that were like, oh yeah, you had the experience with this person? Me too, right? Like, let me tell you about when I was burned in this scenario and that. And it just was like, how did I you know, shame on me. Right. And so, but understanding like what contributes to that is is definitely an interesting way to start that conversation. And then I love kind of coming full circle or, or maybe the bookends of these conversations and deep dives uh, into ethics being, okay, now what? Right. And certainly there's a opportunity for research in, in that area. Yeah. And this, this self-deception piece is really about when we are in those sort, sort of situations, taking, you know, pointing the finger away from the other and and turning it back around to ourselves that that what are we um what are we compromising regarding our own integrity uh what are we not seeing about our own way of construing the world that makes it feel like that others are at fault and we are not and, and those are some of the hardest things to unpack when it comes to ethical leadership, because even those people, you know, I have so many experiences of, of people who, you know, have gone to conferences where you have people who are, are, are you know, communicating with you about um, the importance of, of ethics in, in um, you know, whatever their area of expertise is. And, and then, you know, um, they will proposition you. <laughs> and you know that. You're like, what? How am I supposed to have any respect for you as a scholar if that's how you behave in your private life? Um, yeah, you know, we're so we're so willing to have self-deception when it is self-serving. You are so you're so incredibly spot on. It, it really kind of comes back to this idea of just modeling leadership and just realizing that, you know, as you are having these conversations and leading this area of scholarship, you also have to be modeling what you are saying or best practices or saying is so important in the field. Um, you also, your comments have made me think about something that we use in public relations, um, image restoration theory. So I teach a sports public relations class. And one of the things I talk about is LeBron James and his decision and how, you know, he, for those that are under a rock and don't know who LeBron James is, you know, he made this big announcement um, at a girl, boys and girls club in Cleveland that he was leaving Cleveland to go to Miami. And there was all of this fallout and image restoration theory. These, these authors applied it to him building himself back up and building up his brand. And it just screams to me an opportunity for some interdisciplinary work, which I know is also another call for leadership. I think it's priority number nine, number one. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but um, your point um, to the, how do we recover from ethical failure lies in some existing literature and making those bridges to things that are already out there and, and looking at how we can either reimagine it or question it or critique it, or even just apply it in these different situations. Um, it's one of the things I love kind of about living in this communication space within leadership education. Um, but it makes me think, too, you made another comment about how one of your co-authors uh, brought up um, something that was important in context. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience was like working with uh, or co-authoring this piece? Like what conversations were had? Um, how did you prioritize? Like just a little bit about kind of like lifting the, the curtain and kind of talking to us about what what the logistics of the process were like for you. 
it happens a lot in our field where individuals will um, uh, express interest in collaboration, but not be willing to contribute and um, not follow through on their commitments. And um, in the context of, of, of this project, um, some of that happened for various reasons. And um, I, I think, I mean, it took some courage to, to in the end, uh, make certain that the authorship of, of this reflected those who contributed. It's not always easy to do that. And there's a lot of, it, this is one of the strengths that we have as, as authors in the field is um, I think we have an, an obligation to when we publish something to have the names on it reflect who actually contributed and um, and 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 sometimes that requires some difficult conversations um, and follow through with editors. Yeah, definitely. And certainly advice that I share with with graduate students. And I know we both uh, work in doctoral programs and sometimes it's, you know, fortunately, we all have stories about those types of collaborations or collaborations gone bad or uh, individuals that we uh, won't ever collaborate with again. Right. And so we could, but we don't, <laughs> I don't want to get too much into that, but uh, definitely uh, an important consideration to make um, as we think about, you know, this being a research priority. And as we think about the scholarship of teaching and learning in our field, another thing for for folks to to keep in mind and that self-deception and, and your uh, point about at conferences and and, uh, and whatnot is well taken. Uh, I'm curious, Gail, is there anything we didn't ask you about this priority that you want to make sure to add to the conversation for our listeners? Well, I want to follow up a little bit on the interdisciplinarity because that's yeah. a space that I work in all the time. I am an interdisciplinary scholar. My background is interdisciplinary and this program is interdisciplinary. Uh, in fact, I intentionally left... Um, uh, at University of Nebraska, where I was tenured and fully promoted because I wanted to enter the interdisciplinary space and they were a very siloed institution in terms of how they taught leadership. Uh, so that's been a journey, but not to make it about me, the importance here, I think, in terms of this ethical leadership. So in part, the, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you highlighted the, the, that there, it is in, in terms of the failure, in fact, of the work we cite in this area, which is not extensive, but it does get into and is, is some of it comes from the medical literature. That, that is a place where people have begun to experience, experiment with how do, how do you allow individuals to recover? Um, and the other area where I think that that is potentially has led, and there is a practice uh, that comes out of the social work field. And it, it's it, it's not very current and it's not very uh, well documented, but it does exist. And uh, it is the practice of doing an ethical audit in an organization. And it's something that I teach. Um, and my students get really excited about it. But I caution them <laughs> that it is an area fraught with, uh, you know, landmines, because if you are going to go down the path of doing an ethical audit in your organization, you are by very nature going to be asking difficult questions and uncovering uh, unsightly things in your organization. So you need to be prepared. You need to have a structure and a process for dealing with all of that complexity. 
And so it is not anything to be dealt with lightly, and but it is not a bit a priority in organizations. And I do think it is a practice that that could have benefit in terms of extending it into our organizational spaces to ensure that we are doing, you know, what, what, what I'm encouraging on, a, on an individual level, right, to uncover self-deception. We need to be uncovering self-deception on an organizational level because it is so easy for us to not see exactly what we were do we are doing and there are so many people in the organization who are able to see the inconsistencies between what an organization is doing and the policies it's creating and the and how it this can create a path towards behavior that is that, that, is, that doesn't maintain the level of integrity that we want. And I see it in higher education all the time. Um, we talk about it, but we only talk about it, you know, un, in, in, in the sidelines. We don't talk about it in the boardroom. We don't talk about it. We don't have a formal way for bringing these issues forward and acknowledging when perhaps we are undermining our own organizational integrity by the, the choices we are making because we're so caught up in just making the news, right? This is a new initiative and it's gonna be this, gonna address this financial issue and blah, blah, blah. And we don't stop and say, wait a minute, what are we really asking people to do? And, and is that an ethical thing to be asking of our employees? They're the ones who feel caught in the middle by these decisions. And so I think it, it it would be worth our spending some time figuring out how can we develop better mechanisms for organizations to uncover their own self-deception and when it is that they may have um, inconsistencies in what they are saying they value and condone and what they are condoning and promoting by their behavior and decisions. That, that's an area very worthy of, of research, especially within higher education. So we, at our at my university, we recently had a dean who um, encouraged slash forced his staff to falsify ranking information. They reverse engineered the rankings and then changed some of their data to reflect it. And in that space, you know, having this conversation with my my students just about some of these stories. And, and you know, and I say like, the, I'm sure these folks knew that what they were doing wasn't right, but they were like forced by their boss. Like, you know, and, and, but I also said it's more complicated than what's on the surface. You know, you're asking someone to give up their livelihood or their connection to that community. So it's this, this murky, messy space that you're right. Like, how can we show the good work of our organization, but also be as, as transparent and clear and accountable in those same spaces with the work that we're doing. Um, and, you know, it's definitely an important area of research that, that deserves some more light. Um, so with, with that, Gail, we want to thank you so much for your time today. We know that you could have been anywhere. And so we appreciate you spending this hour with us, sharing your work on uh, priority number eight, ethical leadership, and want to wish you the best of luck as you end the semester. And then also as you move into the summer with research projects, teaching and, and service and some of the other things that you have on your plate. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss 
Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at leadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.